Well, it is the fourth Sunday of Advent. Christmas is coming soon. And, and throughout this Advent season, um, as has been traditionally been done throughout church history, we are lighting candles to mark each day of the Advent season. Uh, the first candle we lit uh, was the hope candle, and then the candle marking the peace of Christ. Last Sunday, we reflected on the joy that Christ brings. And this Sunday, we're focusing in on love. We light this candle in love. The love that Jesus, our Savior, has for us. Prepare then the way of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, we praise you for the great love with which you have loved us through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we praise you for your goodness. We ask for your help now um, as we look into your word. Fill me with your spirit and open our eyes, ears, and hearts to receive it. Let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, every year at this season, the Locke family watches the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And the best thing this year about watching Charlie Brown with my family has been Margot, who is two years old. The best thing about watching Charlie Brown with her is that now she calls brownies Charlie Browns. And so Kathy makes brownies. Margot asks for more Charlie Browns, please. And it's just the best thing ever. I'm sure, you know, Kathy and I are especially savoring this time with our youngest. Now, my favorite line from the Charlie Brown Christmas special is this. When, when one of the characters looks at Charlie Brown in his patheticness and says to him, of all the Charlie Browns, you're the Charlie Browniest. Throughout the, the story, Charlie Brown can't get anything right. He can't get with the, the spirit of the times. He's funny and awkward and the butt of everybody's jokes. But along the way, throughout the special, he keeps asking the question, what is Christmas? What is it all about? He doesn't have time for the show of the season or the, the commercialism of his dog Snoopy. He wants Christmas. He wants the real thing. He wants the substance, the genuine article, the real deal. Charlie Brown wants Christmas, but no one around him seems to be able to give it to him. How many of us have felt that way about God? Maybe a church is a thing that you do because you want to be good or because you've always done it, you know you're supposed to. Maybe church is not something that you normally do, but you're, you're here watching today because a friend invited you or you happen to come across it. If that's you, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Our passage today is an example. It maybe is the example of what 
what, what it means, what happens when the, the real deal, the genuine article, the thing itself arrives. Today, we, we got, to heard this, got to hear the song of Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's a, it's a song that the church has sung throughout the centuries, a prayer that Christians have prayed for thousands of years. It's rich and deep and full of the mystery of God and his grace. It points to what we celebrate on this last day of Advent. It points to the love of God that came down for us in Christ. Scripture teaches that God is love. And love himself came down, came to Mary, and through her to all of us. This biblical scene, the subject of some of the greatest art in the history of the world, this scene is a picture of the presence of love. God is love, and this passage is the announcement of his loving presence to us in Christ. Now, one thing to say before we dive into the passage a little bit, I want to encourage you, don't be a teetotaler. Don't be a teetotaler. You know, back in the the early 20th century, the 19th Amendment outlawed alcohol in the United States. Some people looked around and saw that alcoholism was a problem in our culture, so they took the extraordinary measure of making alcohol illegal across the country. Some people have a problem, so let's make it sure that nobody ever has the chance to use it the wrong way. Let's take it away from everyone. I want to encourage you, don't be a merry teetotaler. There are some church traditions, past and present, that have made much of the Virgin Mary. Some maybe have made too much of her. But I don't want you to think that she can be dispensed with or that that somehow Mary is accidental to the gospel story. Brothers and sisters, she is not. All generations will call her blessed, she said. And and when she sang, she, she was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was written down as scripture. Don't let yourself avoid blessing her and the way that God worked through her. It's okay for us as Christians It's okay for us to bless her. She gave birth to our Savior. She can rightly be called the mother of God. Now, when when Mary heard the good news, she didn't decide in that moment to write a theological treatise on the nature of God and his dealings with humanity. She didn't sit down and and, and write a dissertation. She broke out into song. She broke out into song because she had heard the gospel from the angel. In Luke 1, 28, it said that the angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. The angel was telling her, God sees you. And when he sees you, when he looks on you, he loves you. He's showing you his favor, also translated elsewhere in the scriptures as grace. God's favor is his grace to us. And that declaration 
that God is pleased with her. The God that, that spoke everything into existence, that he sees us, that he loves us, that he looks upon us with that favor. That is the one thing. It's the one thing that, that every human heart desperately longs for, whether we realize it or not. Mary had those gracious words spoken over her by the angel on behalf of God. And through Mary's son, through the Lord Jesus Christ, God speaks these words of blessing, these words of love, these words of grace over you and I now. When Mary heard the angel's words, she humbled herself in faith. And in verse 38 of Luke 1, it says that Mary said that, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And later on, she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist. And, and when Elizabeth saw her, she blessed Mary because of her faith. Luke 1.45, Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, when we quiet our hearts and minds, when we recognize that it's God who's looking at us, we're presented in that moment with a choice. Will we respond like Mary did? Will we respond in faith, in humble dependence upon God with our hands open, ready to do His will? Or will we respond in pride, depending on ourselves or on something in this world that God has made? Will we rely on God's might in faith? Or will we look to our strength in disobedience? In our passage, Mary humbled herself. She humbled herself by faith in the Son of God in, to whom she would give birth. She could marvel. She could marvel at this glorious mystery that, that God himself was going to be physically present in her own body. She could wonder at that gospel truth that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And he did that through her. Indeed, God was with her. Christ's name spoken elsewhere in the, in the scriptures, Emmanuel, that's what his name means. Emmanuel means God with us. And God was with Mary in a way that he was with no one else in all of human history. God has never been with anyone like he was with Mary. God himself became incarnate through her. God took on her flesh so that he could take on ours. God became present with Mary so that he could be present with us. The glorious mystery of the incarnation through the virgin's womb is one of the most wonderful truths of the Christian faith. 
God's presence with us in Christ is the gospel. That is the gospel. Christ saved us by becoming one with us. And by becoming one with us in our humanity, in our flesh, he could make us become one with himself. The incarnation makes our union with God possible. And I just want you to take a moment and stand back and marvel. Marvel at God's gracious plan. Marvel at God's plan to unite humanity with divinity. To to make us one with himself. To take us from the ash heap and lift us up to heaven. Marvel at that truth and say with me, Hallelujah! Glory to God in the highest. Brothers and sisters, in this season, don't let your heart domesticate the mystery. Don't domesticate the mystery. Don't let the the commercialism or the hustle and bustle of the holiday season distract you from what's at the center. Be like Charlie Brown. Let your heart desire the real thing. This is it. God's presence, the presence of love himself. It came down to us 2,000 years ago in Christ through the womb of the Virgin Mary. Let yourself bask in the glow of God's glory. In Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 49, Mary begins her song saying this. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Why is it that Mary rejoices in her song? What does she say? Why is she rejoicing? She says the reason she's rejoicing is that God has looked on the humble estate of of his servants. God has looked at her. God sees her. It's it's because God is, is seeing her in love, and that's the reason why she sings. And yet, how many times, if we're honest with ourselves, do we try and avoid God seeing us, God looking at us, being exposed before God? Even those of us who don't fully believe that God is there, we in the modern world have what what Soren Kierkegaard calls an existential dread, this sense of fear, of foreboding, the idea that the ghost of God is out there somewhere waiting to get us. So what do we do to avoid God seeing us? We we try and manage our image. We get worried about what other people see, and and that kind of takes the place of God for us. We manage our image. We curate our Instagram. We brand ourselves in the way that we would like to be seen. 
We distract ourselves with constant media intake, overwork, silly obsessions. We walk through everyday life, exiled from ourselves, obstructing our awareness of God's gaze upon us through busyness, addiction, whatever it takes to avoid it. And the most insidious form of this, trying to avoid God seeing us, is the religious version of it. This is the kind that I'm most familiar with, personally. We tend to convince ourselves, especially in the church, that the most important thing is about how we see God, how we think of God. Our theology, it's it's, it's our ideas about God that tell us whether or not we're good Christians. Religion has this tendency to try to control the conversation, to manage the situation, to dictate terms to God. What we think of God, how we think of God, that is what's really important. C.S. Lewis has much to say about this. Listen to this quote from his sermon, The Weight of Glory. He writes, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, it is not. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. It is written that we shall stand before him, shall appear, shall be inspected, The promise of glory is the promise almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ that some of us, that any of us who really chooses, shall actually survive that examination, shall find approval, shall please God. To please God. To be a real ingredient in the divine happiness. To be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in, as an artist delights in his work or a son. It seems impossible. A weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. This What C.S. Lewis describes here, this is the joy, the rapture, the happiness that Mary is experiencing in our passage. God has seen her. God has looked upon her with his favor, his grace. She pleased him. What the angel said is true. She is the favored of the Lord. The presence of God's love with her led her to to ignore the future ridicule and shame that she would experience as a teen mom who's yet to be married. All that future shame just melts away before the gaze of a loving God. Mary wasn't driven in her life by what her neighbors thought. She wasn't ruled by her image in others' eyes. God has broken into her life. He's shattered her previous paradigms. 
Yes, Mary was going to suffer, and the gospel accounts tell us how. Mary would lose much in this life. But that meant nothing. That meant nothing compared to the glorious promise of God with us. God saw her with love, with mercy, with grace. And that was enough to flip her world upside down, to exalt her to the lofty place in the the history of redemption as the mother of our Savior. Mary sings in her song about the mighty being brought low, the humble being exalted, the rich being sent away empty, the hungry being filled with good things. Mary is singing about the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. And she embodied that in her life. You know, God is in the process in my life of flipping my world upside down a little bit right now. For most of my life, I've considered myself strong, and I've leaned a lot on my own strength. It's kind of like I've been leaning on a chair, you know, just kind of like doing my thing, leaning on a chair, la, 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 la. But God has, all of a sudden, kind of kicked the chair out from under me, and I'm, and I'm left without anything to, to, to hold on to. I've been leaning on my strength, and God has kicked my strength out from under me. God's made me weak. He's made me vulnerable. He's made me needy. And my flesh kicks and screams against the idea of not being strong, of not being able to depend on myself. But my soul knows how much I need it. My soul knows that my my own strength needs to be kicked off the throne and brought low. My soul knows that I need to learn humility from Jesus himself. Jesus, who was born of an unwed mother, whose first bed was an animal feeding trough. If God himself can humble himself in that way, then I shouldn't avoid it. I shouldn't run from it. I need to sit still. I need to let God see me, let him look at me. I need to let God love me. I need to receive the great love with which he has loved me in his son. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for you this Christmas season is that you would stop, that you would relent, that you would let yourself be quiet before God, that you would know that he looks upon you, that he sees you, and that when he looks on you, he sees you with favor. He sees you with love. God sees you with love because by faith in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who became flesh and dwelt among us through Mary, by faith in Christ, he sees you as a son and daughter of the living God. May you this Christmas receive the presence of his love.
by faith in His Son and the powerful working of His Holy Spirit. May you receive that love and give God the praise and the glory just like Mary did. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray for everybody listening today, God, that we would delight in you, God, our Savior. That we would rejoice and make your name great, just like Mary did all those years ago. That we would stand back and marvel at the mystery of your great love for us, coming to us in the person of Christ, who was incarnate for our sake. And Father, I pray that you would allow us to stop, to to relent, to release. That you would allow us to humble ourselves before you. To come to you in faith. To let you bring us low. So that you, as you promised through your Son, would exalt us when we humble ourselves before you. Thank you, Father God, for exalting Mary all those years ago. May we see her as an example of what it looks like to have godly faith. And may we share her faith and put our trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.